This is Margaret Coltman Frankowitz with another episode of Diabetic Survival. You know, there's a bunch of topics I haven't addressed as being a diabetic, but I think one of them that is actually very important and one that I didn't see until uh, it didn't dawn on me that, you know, this is huge, but it has been um, a huge factor in my life is is, uh, the way of work. Now, this doesn't apply to you retired people, okay? So if you're retired, you don't even have to listen about to this. But if you're like the other 90% of Americans who have to work and probably until the day they die, this probably applies to you. I have met so many people that um, they work a normal 9 to 5 job. They either work at Walmart or they work at Target or they work at, you know, wherever. Um, they work as a nurse doctor, etc. And um, there's this term called burnout, you know, where people, they do a particular field occupation for a while and then they just, they just burn out. Um, But it's such a generic word and it means so much. Uh, Burnout could, could possibly mean that you just can't do the job anymore. And it's one that I don't really see addressed too much. Uh, People just assume that when you can't do the job anymore, you become disabled, you go on social security disability, and you kind of do your retirement that way. But then there's the other half of the people out there, or more, that decide that social security disability is just not paying enough, and you know, hey, I can make more working, even if it's just a little bit more working than I can actually going on the social security disability. So they continue to work. But how do diabetics do it? Because as you know, as a diabetic, you know, your life changes and, you know, work's not the same anymore. So, I mean, you work a 60 hour week, for instance, as a truck driver and as a diabetic, uh, it's, it's horrible because not only are you wanting to sleep while you're working, but you want to sleep on your days off and you have no life. That was me as a truck driver. That was about five years ago. And that's when I, I knew that I needed to change occupations. I'd been a truck driver for five years and I realized that I couldn't continue doing what I was doing. And that's really unfortunate with a lot of occupations. Um, you're not able to do what you used to do. You know that you have to change something and your body lets you know this. And the doctor, if you talk to a good doctor, has warned you like 10 years ago anyways, that you're going to need to change occupations. I actually experienced that before I ever became a diabetic. I had high blood pressure back in my my, uh, mid-30s, and my occupation was actually causing my high blood pressure, as weird as that is. Or maybe it just happened coincidentally that my high blood pressure happened around the time I was actually a bus driver. So I've been a bus driver, I've been a truck driver, I've you know done deliveries, I've done all kinds of stuff. Um, worked in hospitals. I, I mean, you name it, I've done it. Um, a lot of it requires uh, a tremendous amount of energy to actually do. And sometimes uh, we don't have that energy. We don't have the energy that we had in our 20s. So uh, you literally work a 40-hour shift and you have no life because you want to go home and all you want to do is sleep. So 40 hours, 60 hours, it's all the same. It's ridiculous. And some jobs are harder than others. Like for instance, you work a post office where where you're um, lifting between 50 to 70 pounds 
or more, some people. And um, you can't even work a full 40 hours, I mean, 20 hours max, and that's it. That's all you can handle. Uh, what it does on a diabetic's body, what I found, because I've worked all those different fields that I've, I've mentioned to you. Um, one of the hardest, most challenging jobs I had to do was only 20 hours a week or less, and it was working as a materials handler. This is where I was lifting very heavy packages, lifting up and over my shoulders and into bins. Now, mind you, I met all the physical requirements to actually do the job, and they were quite extensive because uh, the job itself was very demanding. But, uh, let's see, this was before, I mean, I had, I had received information that um, I was pre-diabetic, but um, I realized that I was going through a lot of the problems that diabetics actually face, such as the neuropathy. Uh, well before I became a diabetic, oddly enough. And how this affected me at work, because I was on metformin, um, this affected me greatly. And this was one where I couldn't work more than 20 hours a week because it was so physically exhausting that most of the time I slept. And I realized that's where I had a problem because I was only working 20 hours a week. And if, if I was spending all my free time sleeping, I think I have some issues. So what happened is I ended up um, with a really bad case of neuropathy where I literally lost, um, I lost senses in my hands and my feet while I was working that job. And of course it did require a lot of moving. It, um, not only uh, you know picking up these boxes and putting them into bins, but also a lot of walking around, a lot of packing. So it was a very physical type job. And when I'd go home at night, I would just be in so much pain. And my sh it radiated from my shoulders all the way down to my fingertips. And my feet hurt tremendously bad. And I'm like, you know what? I'm really not going to be able to handle this as a diabetic. I was actually able to correlate my job to what I was doing and realize that this was going to be a very, very short term job. As a matter of fact, it was so short-term, it only lasted a month or two. Uh, now, of course, my, me and my ex-husband, we actually worked the same job. And he actually, believe it or not, gave up before I did. And he's not even a diabetic. <laughs> so, and he's, he's a strong guy. He can handle it, you know, most tough situations. But this was not one he wanted to continue. It was that strenuous. I was a little bit more into it probably because I'm the one that picked out the job. So, um, of course, I was going to do everything that I possibly could, could to actually extend it for a while. I mean, it was paying pretty decent. You know, considering I was only working part-time, it was almost what I'd make it a full-time job, but not quite. But it was just enough to get me by. And I was fine with that at the time. But in the end, I was in so much pain that I just couldn't even show up for work anymore. Um, not, not only was I getting the pain in my heart, my arms and my legs, which were a clear sign that I couldn't do the job, but the throbbing headaches that came along with it definitely didn't help. And, um, so I eventually ended up having to, uh, quit that job. So, um, it's really hard in life and society as well as when you have to actually, you know, you still have to make your car payments, you still have to pay your rent, etc. So sometimes you don't get the option to change what you're doing.
And of course, we always want to try to not just get ahead. We want to at least be able to afford uh, the basics so that, you know, we can live a comfortable life at least. So it wasn't until my, my busing days, I had decided to become a bus driver. You know, I thought they were paying, you know, they were paying the best, but they were certainly paying more than the fast food restaurant down the corner. So I decided to become a bus driver. And that was a fun job. I'll tell you what, I mean, I had a blast. I worked for the airport. I drove a full-size 40-foot bus around a little tiny airport in Phoenix, Arizona. This is back when uh, shuttle ports still existed. And I just had a heck of a time. I loved it. When I first started it, I thought I would, I would drive a bus forever. And then the reality hit me that uh, I probably would not have a retirement at all if I decided to continue driving for Shuttleport. So I decided I was going to not retire with them, but I would work them for a few years there anyways. It probably wasn't until I ended up with anxiety that I really realized that I needed a career change. And kind of with the help of my doctor, uh, back then I just suffered from high blood pressure and it wasn't bad, but it was a little bit over and it was bad enough to actually need a little bit of medication. But it seemed to increase when I actually drove as a bus driver. And, um, at the airport, they had a lot of construction going on. I actually worked the night shift. I'd work my 10-hour shifts four days a week, have three days off. And uh, there was constant stress of not knowing who was going to end up, you know, running the stop sign or where they were going to actually put the new construction or um, who was in a hurry to get to the airport. So with all these constant unknowns, it does create a bit of stress. Uh, having construction and dealing with construction constantly is another form of stress. Not good. So I had gone into my doctor and I basically told him I was suffering from some type of anxiety. There was something about the construction going on at the airport that was causing my anxiety, probably because the clones were so close and I was driving a 40-foot bus. I mean, that would make anybody anxious. Nobody wants to knock over cones. And of course, I never did knock over any cones, but at the same time, my mentality at the time, and I think I was more anxious back then than I am now, but um, I, I was just scared to death of running over a cone or backing into one because I knew it would be kind of like a, a mark against my record. And I had an impeccable record there, but I was also on high anxiety all the time. And um, it was just, it was just really weird. It was a really weird state of mind that I'm glad I'm no longer in. But I realized that it was just, it was just making, the job was making me too anxious. And I had to end up, eventually end up leaving that job but I had worked it for several years and um, it was decent money back then nowadays it wouldn't be squat but back then it was decent and uh, but before I actually quit now I didn't quit because the doctor told me to quit I told the doctor because when I had actually seen the doctor I was six months into the job and when he told me to quit I'm like no that's not an option I'm staying at this job I'm not going to leave a good paying job 
just because of a little anxiety. Okay, it was a major amount of anxiety, one that could have actually sent me to the hospital, but that's besides the point. I just get me on a med so I can actually do my job. That's the one time I actually did ask for medication at the time was when my grandmother passed on. It was pretty hard. I was going through depression at the time. But um, I needed to be on an anxiety medication. There was no doubt about it. I mean, it was just absolutely driving me bonkers. So the doctor did. He actually prescribed a drug to me. And I was really nervous about it, too. I didn't want to be on a pill. I didn't want to be on any pills at the time. I don't think at the time I was even on my high blood pressure medications, actually, now that I think about it. Because this was back in 2005. I don't think I went on high blood pressure pressure medication until 2010. So uh, back then, it was just an anxiety drug that they actually gave me. And I was really nervous because I was kind of hoping he'd say something like, just drink tea or something like that. (laughs) That's not what he suggested. He did suggest a pill. And he's like, look, I know you're worried about side effects because I told him all of my fears about pills and stuff because I didn't want to be one of those pill poppers by any means. I didn't want to do drugs. You know, I just wanted to be normal like everybody else. <laughs> of course, the new normal is everybody's popping pills anyways, but that's besides the point. And uh, so he put me on this anxiety medication and he, he promised me, he said it wasn't bad. Matter of fact, it was the same type of medication he took when he was going through med school. I'm like, hey, that's a pretty good recommendation. That's I'm, I'm, I'm reassured he could be the devil right now, and he just sold me that drug. So I went ahead and trusted his judgment. And you know what? It was great, and I can't remember the name of it, but it actually did calm down my anxiety. I mean, you could have been giving me a sugar pill, but the way that he actually <laughs> actually promoted it, I, I felt just fine on it. Like it, like maybe it could have been a sugar pill, and I would have been just fine now that I think about about it back in the days. But I uh, know it was an actual drug, and uh, it just calmed me down. The reason why I know it worked and it wasn't a sugar pill, though, I got to tell you this: I was on it for this was. This was kind of like a long-term pill thing. So as long as I had the job, I was on this pill. Sad, isn't it? When I think back on it, really sad. I shouldn't have to take a pill just to work a job. But lots of people do it. Um, And that's unfortunate, but that's another story for another day. So I was on this medication and I was listening to the radio and I swear this radio I, you know, I'm pretty good with tune, tunage, like, you know, I can f- hear the first couple of notes of a song that, that I've known all my life, and I know exactly what song it is, right? And I think a lot of people are like that. Well, I'm listening to this song, and the music sounds like it's off sync from the lyricist. So the guy's singing, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? It, it, like, nothing else was abnormal, but my music was. So I'm listening to my music. And it's off scale with the music. And I'm like, am I hearing that wrong? What is going on here? But um, I never talked to the doctor about this. But for some reason, the sound that was coming out was not syncing with the singer's voice. My ears were hearing it different. And everybody who popped up on my bus, they never said anything weird. And I knew that it wasn't normal. And um, so then slowly, without the doctor's permission, eventually I stopped that medication and my sound came back. But, um, and my anxiety came back as well. 
<laughs> so I ended up deciding that that job was not right for me because it was messing with music. But there were also other disturbances, such as um, I had joined the NaNoWriMo contest. If you know about the NaNoWriMo contest, it has become pretty popular uh, since when it started, since its inception. But it was relatively new back in 2005. And basically what it is, is write a novelle in 30 days. And you just write and write and write and write and write, and then you don't stop. Usually it happens in November. Um, if you are interested in writing and you want to actually join that, just type in NaNoWriMo. It's N-A-N-O-W-R-I-M-O. I mean, it's going to be November here shortly. So um, that's when they start their contest. And I guess they do have prizes and stuff. I never did it for the prizes or entering any contests or anything. I just did it for the spirit of it. And um, uh, I also realized how difficult it is to write a novel. But for whatever reason, while I was on this medication, I had no problems writing a novel. I think I wrote 180 pages. Yay, thank you. Clap, clap, clap. And uh, it was the goofiest book ever, but I'm very proud of myself for belting it out at the time. So um, I actually attribute it to this, this miracle drug that this doctor gave me that actually made me, you know, listen to things kind of funny. Now, unfortunately, this drug had another side effect that I thought was kind of interesting. Isn't it kind of weird, though? I mean, I got to break with this for a minute. Isn't it kind of weird that we take one medication to help with one thing, yet it has all these different little side effects that we know nothing about? And if that doesn't scare the crap out of you, then it should. Because why are you trying to treat one thing that'll cause 20 different symptoms, 20 different problems, right? Um, I had two that were really huge. One was, uh, for instance, I was hearing voices that were different than the lyrics. And two, uh, the other one was, is I could watch a horror flick and not flinch. That worried me because I always flinched during a horror movie. As a matter of fact, I usually cannot watch the whole horror movie without my both my, my, my hands being over my eyes because I don't want to see the gruesomeness of it. I don't even like listening to horror movies. Yuck. But for some reason, when I was a kid, I watched them all the time. But I still grimaced during the horror parts. You know, I wasn't a psychopath or anything. Anyways, this drug, whatever this doctor gave me, I could literally... Uh, I, could, I could literally just watch a horror flick all the way through. I mean, they could kill like a thousand people and I would not flinch. And we'd just be like, eh, not a big deal. Really? So this is a psychotic, this is some kind of weird psychotic type drug that he has me on. Um, now I went about my life as normal and stuff, but things didn't make me flinch. I felt like an absolute psychopath. That's all I could think of all day was, oh, I'm a psychopath. I've become a psychopath. These drugs are turning me into a psychopath. So then I was having anxiety, but it's controlled anxiety. So it's more like, I'm a psychopath. I feel like a psychopath. I don't think I like this feeling. Like seriously, it was really weird. I was not normal. I was not myself. I got myself off those drugs. Didn't even bother to talk to that doctor who said that he took them in, in college because I figured he was still on them because my goodness, maybe, yeah, I mean, they're not bad or anything. It's just, you know, I, I, I came to the, the conclusion that I wanted to have feelings. 
I wanted to be sad when I wanted to be sad. I wanted to be happy when I wanted to be happy. And I certainly didn't want to be on those medications anymore. So I knew that the only way to cure my anxiety after a couple of years to get off this medication was to quit my job. So that's what I did. That's why I quit being a bus driver. And when I quit, it was quite dramatic. I'm not sure exactly what happened that day. Um, something happened. But it was something that just broke the camel's back that day. Now, mind you, Shittleport, they were a great company. They were amazing. They bent over backwards for me, and I'd bend over backwards for them, too. But something happened that broke the camel's back that day. And I had worked as a dispatcher. When I got bored with uh, driving a bus, um, occasionally they'd pull me into the shop and have me work as a dispatcher, and I'd help out the other drivers. I loved doing that, too. That was great. Just talk to the drivers all day if they needed anything like a break. I was the one that went out and gave them their breaks. Um, or I would just sit behind the desk and if they needed anything like uh, police or anything at the airport, I was the one that actually um, made the communications to actually help that person out. So I, I did love my job. Um, I quit over something just absolutely ridiculous. I think it was, um, I was sick that day and I was like deathly sick. Now that was when the avian flu was out. And uh, I may have had that. I, I didn't really pay much attention what was going on with the avian flu. Because um, I just kind of like foo-foo off all kinds of things just because I have a job to do. Um, um, everything, uh, everything under the sun, anybody who goes and, and actually takes a flight, no matter what they have, they're going to bring it on my bus. I'm going to be prone to actually catching it because I'm the bus driver. I'm obviously exposed to everything. So I can't think about that stuff. And of course that was well before, you know, now we have, you know, sneeze guards up and everything else. Um, they didn't have those back then. They didn't care. When you got sick, you just got sick. And I think I got sick seven times a day. But anyways, whatever I had caught that day made me so sick that I was literally throwing up in the garbage can. Now when you're throwing up in the garbage can, it might be a good day or a good clue that you need to go home. So, of course, I call in the dispatch, and the person on the other end of the line said, well, it might be an hour or two before we can find relief for your bus or for your shift. So just hang tight, and um, we'll get somebody out there and relieve you. And now, mind you, I've never called off during mid-shift, but I also know, being a dispatcher myself, that we do relieve drivers. So if they're sick, we relieve them in their shift so they can go home and get better. We don't want sick drivers making everybody else sick, even though everybody else was making us sick. Um, well, I was probably four hours into my shift. I call them up and like, well, we just don't have anybody to relieve you. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I guess I'm going to have to finish out my shift. Well, I got another six hours to go on my shift. It was only four hours into it. So then the vomiting started again. I was getting really sick. I finally called them back and I'm just like, hey, you know, I really need relief. I mean, I'm just like, this is, this is getting beyond ridiculous. Okay, so I'm back. I had a nice laugh and then I had to come back. I totally forgot what I was talking about. Okay, I remember it was, um, <coughs> excuse me. I was talking about the medication that the doctor put me on and how I came off. Now, that particular drug, I was supposed to come down off of it uh, with the doctor's permission. I didn't. And uh, that has other effects to it that I still have to this day, such as 
uh, the music being out of sync, but it doesn't happen as, as often. I'm like, what is that stuff? Like, LSD? Because I've heard LSD, like, gives you effects, like, 30 years later. And, I mean, you could only have one hit, and then it affects you 30 years later or something like that, you know? So, um, I don't know if it's anything like that. But, um, it was definitely different. So, I, I don't know what type of job I went to after that, because I've worked so many different types of jobs. But, um, this goes into the whole realm of working a job as a diabetic. Um, back then I wasn't a diabetic, but I knew something was going on. You know, it, it was pretty obvious with my blood pressure because it would slowly rise. Now, they still don't know if, like, for instance, my blood pressure is actually caused by an allergy or not. I mean, that's what I'm thinking is that it's actually caused by an allergy. I can't get a doctor to confirm or deny or run any tests, so I have to go to an allergist for that. But, um... But they can't even confirm or deny if, if it'll raise your blood pressure. It's just that I had one doctor one time say uh, that allergies can raise your blood pressure. Now, this is the interesting thing about blood pressure. I'm going to jump over to that for a minute because that's one thing they suffer from and a lot of diabetics suffer from as well. Is that 50% of the time is the great unknown. I mean, sometimes they can find underlying causes as to why your blood pressure is actually high. But other times, they just don't have a clue. They just don't know. Nobody knows. And there's not a lot of information on it. Like, you're you're better off being a diabetic than having high blood pressure. High blood pressure, they call a psych, silent killer, and they just put you on more medication, more medication, more medication uh, when your numbers slowly go up. And I have an instance. The reason why I thought that it might be an allergen is because there are times I take my blood pressure completely normal. There are other times I take my blood pressure off the charts. It's kind of rare, but it does happen. Where my my uh, bottom numbers in the triple digits, my top numbers, of course, in the triple digits. Thank God. And uh, but but you know the top number is really high, bottom number is really high, and they have no explanation as to why. Because, well, you're taking the medication, so we don't know. So then they put you on a higher dose of medication, and then your blood pressure just drops like a rock. Because there's something, there's some underlying cause to what actually raises your blood pressure. And, you know, I've gone on YouTube. I've tried searching for this topic. My diastolic, my systolic, believe it or not, is like 128. It's completely normal. Um, Right now, anyways. But it's been as high as like 180, where I've had to go to the emergency room, where I've had to go to the hospital and get tests run, where they're checking out my heart and they just don't see anything irregular and they don't understand why it has increased. They, They don't know. So they put me on medication. Usually it's when I've been off my medication, though. Come on, let's, let's be honest there. Um, I don't like taking pills, and that's part of the problem. I don't like taking pills. I keep hoping things will heal itself. Um, but recently, it's been the bottom number. The diastolic number is the bottom number. And for me, it's been kind of high. So it hasn't been in the triple digits or anything lately, but it has been in the past. So, of course, that concerns me. So, they, of course, they ended up raising my amount of... Um, my my diabetes medication, which is the lisinopril, and I'm taking like the max amount, the same amount that you'd give to somebody with like heart failure or heart attack or whatnot. But I haven't had a heart attack. I I don't have heart failure. I think that I'm actually allergic to something. So eventually I'll get that checked out, find out what I'm allergic to, and I'll be fine. Because it's not like I'm running around out of breath. I'm not sweating. I do not have the symptoms of somebody with heart failure. So I don't even know what to say to that. 
but the lisinopril I have found that I'm definitely going to have to be on until they actually change it up and give me something different. And um, because uh, my top number does just fine on lisinopril. I mean, 128 is a beautiful number to be at. The bottom number being at 95, though, not great. And I haven't really... I haven't really been given a solution as how to drop that bottom number. So I will continue to go to doctors and find out how to actually get that fixed. And be on lisinopril for the rest of my life probably. And I'm okay with that. Um, I'm not having a lot of side effects besides uh, lisinopril and metformin. I'm not quite sure which it is. But um, occasional sleepiness after I take my medication. So... There are times I don't want to take my medication because I know I need to be awake and I'm going to want to sleep. Um, and it's usually, it's very brief. So, I mean, it's just like if I ate a bunch of carbs, <laughs> it's the same reaction. Um, only it's not as hardcore sleep as if I ate a bunch of carbs. So some of you may relate to some of this. Uh, just remember, I've been a diabetic. Well, I was a pre-diabetic for a decade. And I've been a diabetic for a couple of years now. So some of you may resonate with some of the stuff that I'm actually seeing. Um, I hope that uh, for all diabetics out there, I hope that your diabetes isn't too bad. If it is, um, you know, I, I just want you to know that, that I'm praying for you. I'm rooting for you. I hope that you can get it under control if you haven't yet. And uh, don't think that you're an exception that it's not going to work for you. Because it will. Keto works for everybody. Except for that skinny blonde bitch in the corner over there. She doesn't need it. She doesn't have diabetes. So whatever. Okay, so I had to stop it for a minute and now I'm back. Uh, I remember I was talking briefly about anxiety. But um, switching topics a tad bit or just different things. Because I can't let, you know, rewind and play back. Um... Another thing, nat, more natural way to actually, or that I should say that I've dealt with my anxiety. I cannot necessarily recommend this for anybody. Well, one, I'm not a doctor. I can just tell you what I've been through and what I've done. But one of the things that has actually helped me with my anxiety, my continued anxiety that I have, not caused by driving a bus, which I think catapulted me into the world of anxiety, but one of the things that has helped tremendously uh, all of my life uh, is actually owning a pet. And uh, pets are great for, especially cats for some reason. Cats are, they're kind of needy. They like their owners for the most part. And if you're a cat person, I mean, you really kind of have to be a cat person to understand. But my cats have always loved the heck out of me or they love trying to eat me, one of the two. I don't know if they're waiting for me to die and eat me or what, but... Um, I do have a cat. I have a kitten, as a matter of fact. And my kitten actually helps me with my anxiety. Because there's a lot of different things that come with anxiety that are... Uh, I mean, you kind of go through the mood swings with anxiety. Of being anxious. And... Or worrying about stuff. Or whatever. I mean, it's to the point where... I mean, everybody... It, being a little bit anxious is normal. But constantly worrying about something like every day, every minute, every hour where you can't sleep is absolutely exhausting and people wonder why you're sleeping all the time and it's because of your anxiety so um my cat actually does calm my anxiety my my cat keeps me here it keeps me level it reminds me that um uh, basically to live in the moment 
And of course, I, I live in the future too, but uh, living in the moment is getting the, the most out of you know, your environment and how you're living, etc. So uh, pets have been very important and supportive um, supportive and so that's why there are doctors out there that will actually um, like for instance if you're disabled um, they will actually prescribe a pet for you to actually help you with your anxiety and um, <laughs> my kitten is a little bit rambunctious my kitten likes to take a chomp out of me so um, I forgot I almost forgot how so I almost forgot how much attention a kitten needs. Technically speaking, I probably would have done better with a full-grown cat. Uh, one that has already been domesticated, potty trained, does not attack me, etc. So I mean, if you plan on getting a pet, <laughs> keep these things in mind. Kittens can be a lot of fun, but they can also be a handful. And um, I'm certainly not the only person going through this. I just spoke to uh, the litter mother, the one who, um, well, actually, she's not a litter mother. Actually, the litter mother, we haven't really heard much from, but the uh, person who, who adopted two of the four in the litter, and they're just as much as a handful as the one that I have. So we're all dealing with the um, stress of raising kittens. So yeah, they look cute. They're great in pictures and everything, but... Um, they will knock your stuff over and they will demand their food at certain times and uh, they'll, they're very demanding with your attention, which is great. Um, definitely gets you out of the, the norm, out of the uh, pity party if, you, if you're going through that, the poor me or whatever, because now you have something else you need to uh, take care of and focus on because, of course, your kitten needs quite a few things to grow up and be a normal, healthy, happy cat. So I just thought I'd give my two bits on that one. Now it's been, now uh, with the anxiety drug that I was actually given it, back in 2005, you know, I was told it was non-addictive. It was something that um, I could get off eventually. I was supposed to get off with the doctor's help, etc. And I didn't. I did that on my own. Kind of a dumb move. I should have listened to the doctor, but I didn't really have too many side effects to worry about. But, um, those are the things that they usually tell you with the drugs that they actually, you know, do prescribe for you. Um, back to the pet, um, since I've had pets all my life, I can see where if I had uh, a type of anxiety before I became a bus driver, um, it was minimal to none. And it may have been something that I've always lived with that fortunately because I've had pets all my life, it wasn't necessarily a big deal. Or it was something that actually transpired. Trans it actually became a reality once I became a truck driver. Sorry about that. I was trying to find the right words to say. So I'm kind of curious how you deal with your anxiety. You can write me at diabeticsurvival at gmail.com. That is a new website that I have specifically and solely for this podcast so that I can communicate with you, the audience. And uh, there's supposed to be um, like a little note thing that you can actually send me a message on Anchor if you're on Anchor, but honestly, I have never received anything in my Anchor. I've only received things in my, my email account. So 
um, regardless of which way that you choose to correspond. If you want to correspond, um, I'd be more than happy to write you back if you want to, or if you just want to leave a comment, uh, you can tell me you hate this show if you want to. It's perfectly okay. I'm going to cringe a little bit because I've been working so hard on it, but you know everybody's entitled to their opinions. And at least on this podcast, we are a free country. We are a free podcast country. Okay, with that being said, please like, share with your friends, share with other diabetics. Um, do something different. If, if you're having issues with something, make sure you talk to somebody about it. Uh, definitely talk to uh, your doctor about this or someone who can, can actually help you out and um, get whatever issues that you have fixed. Uh, we diabetics, we go through a lot of different things. So uh, definitely have your networks out there. Have multiple networks of support out there. Um, information. YouTube has been a great source of information for me. And I would highly suggest any of the medical professionals I've actually recommended in my podcast. I think highly of them or I would have never mentioned them. So, um, thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Until next time, please be kind to each other. This has been Margaret Coleman Franklitz. Thank you.